Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 52, Keanu Reeves' Journey to Success from 2003. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us today, we have our Bill and Ted expert, Kara O'Regan. Hello, Kara. Hey, guys. Hi. So we have big, not I don't want to say changes to Keanu Club, the Keanu Club podcast, but Mike and I made an executive decision that we're going to skip about 12 to 15 things we are planning to do. Most of them are documentaries. This one is a documentary. This is an unauthorized documentary, which we will get into in great detail shortly. It's but the exception. We, in our eagerness last April when we started this, we went through his IMDb and picked out a whole bunch of documentaries he was involved in. And thinking back to Cage Club. We did two documentaries there, one about Johnny Ramone, one about Stan Lee, that really we shouldn't have done. And here, there was such a stretch, like there's such a density of documentaries over these next 10 or so years in Keanu's life. And I was just like, I don't want to do these. So Mike and I had a powwow, and we're skipping a bunch of them. Mike did the Lord's work and watched a whole lot of them just to see if they're worth talking about. So as we pass one, Mike will give a quick little review. And we did pass one already that was going to be the next episode. It is Mayor of Sunset Strip. So Mike, what's that one about? Yep, it's not about Keanu at all, I'll tell you that much. He literally walks across the screen, blink and you miss him. Uh, he's at like a celebrity party. But this is a documentary about Rodney Bingingheimer, who is the mayor of Sunset Strip, who is like one of the original ultimate groupies and runs a radio show and like is friends with David Bowie. I mean, it's just kind of about him and Keanu is just sort of a passerby in this whole thing. So yeah, he's he's not in this one at all. So it's a it's a total skip. Probably the biggest skip out of all of them, I would say. It's not even worth watching as a movie or as a documentary. I mean, it's a it's an average documentary. It's not. I didn't like it as much as the actual Sunset Strip documentary down the line that I had to watch also last weekend. Yeah, I would. I could pretty much just full on skip this. If you want to know anything about this Rodney Bingenheimer guy, you could probably just look him up on Wikipedia or something. I don't think it warrants uh, ninety five minutes of your life. <laughs> That's totally fair. But I'm so glad that Kara is here today. I'm so glad that we forced her to buy because you <laughs> cannot stream legally or illegally, I don't think, this unauthorized documentary, this whopping 52 minutes of – it feels like overall a guy just learned how to use some like video editing software <laughs> and yes. like – or like I don't remember what program it was. It was some program in college that it was like you put photos in and like you'd use the Ken Burns effect. Like they would, it would just basically animate things. I this feels they... like someone yes. learning how to use software, obsessed with Keanu Reeves, and like I'm gonna make a documentary about this guy. And documentary is a strong word. I'm gonna recap this guy's career and grab awkward video clips of interviews of him and then just cobble together a narrative over 52 minutes. He was born a hero in The Matrix, but Keanu Reeves' life outside of his characters and outside of his films is something of a Matrix itself. There is something extraordinary within this actor that has taken shape through years of darkness, mystery, and fame. I like to drink, I like to shoot pool. I have a devil-may-care attitude, devil-may-care life. The highs, the lows, the matrix. This is Keanu Reeves as he's never been seen before. This is Keanu Reeves' journey to success. Yeah. Yeah, this, is, this isn't even like an A&E biography where they interview their parents and friends and family members and get like actual firsthand account insight into these people's backgrounds and stuff. Like who, who knows 
who checked any of these facts <laughs> and how much of this is true. But yeah, this is a total, this did feel, you're right, like some guy just got a MacBook Pro and was testing out, like Kara said, iMovie. Well, really, really quickly, if you watch the credits, there's two people credited for research, which I don't know if I've ever seen in a film. There's a credit for people who did research for this. And one is the guy who I think is the narrator, the guy, like the brainchild behind this. And the other is the other guy whose name is frequently peppered throughout the credits. So it feels like there's two people who sort of made this, and they're the only ones who did research. So if there was any fact-checking, they did it themselves. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, it's all just clips of pressed junket interviews. And well, one thing that I found rather interesting and relevant to the current state of affairs is that Keanu Reeves has been dealing with fake news his whole career. And that <laughs> Very kept, true. It kept coming up over and over again in the documentary, all of these rumors that are swirling around Keanu's career, I found rather interesting, salacious, and also slightly <laughs> ridiculous. And I questioned them also because I had never heard of any of those rumors about him either. The biggest one that I remember is apparently after he did My Own Private Idaho, which this is, I think, is understandable. A lot of people thought that he might be gay because he was gay in that movie. Right. But then years later, there was a rumor that he, like, he ran off with David Geffen and got married. Like, yeah. I don't know. What? It's, well, it's the no, It's even crazier than that. The rumor was he he ran off and married David Geffen on a private beach in Mexico and then went on a $15,000 spending spree to celebrate. <laughs> I want to jump to the very end of the documentary because it's the most offensive and craziest thing. It's at the end when they're shooting Matrix Reloaded and they're talking about Keanu's life and like all the hardships he's dealt with and about how, you know, he lost a newborn, he, you know, his girlfriend died, he was in these accidents, and then they go on this, like, little stretch of, like, other things that plagued him, and they basically oh, compare... this is the best. <laughs> like, it's, it's all bad things, but they compare Carrie Ann Moss getting hurt filming Matrix Reloaded to Keanu's sister getting cancer to 9-11 happening. Like, in a span of three sentences, <laughs> it's like, look at all these bad things that affected his life, and it's like, wait, how are you comparing these things? Keanu was again heartbroken. Everybody close to him seemed to succumb to some type of untimely demise. River Phoenix, his infant daughter, his father, and now his ex-girlfriend. When he returned to Australia to resume filming the Matrix sequels, what should have been a return to Eden became a trip deeper into hell. His sister Kim had another cancer relapse. Cast members were getting injured left and right. Keanu's friend and co-star, Gloria Foster, who played the part of the Oracle, died suddenly during filming. R&B singer Aaliyah died in a plane crash after she was cast to co-star in the Matrix sequels. And then the terrorist attacks of September 11th occurred, increasing the cast's fear that something even more horrible might take place. It's even worse because the guy makes it sound like there's a Keanu conspiracy curse going on and that he is somehow to blame for this chain of events and the problems in the world. Like, he's somehow manifesting these things to happen. It's insane. Well, the scripted narration, like, throughout the documentary is very intense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, at the very beginning of the introduction, it said something about Keanu outside of his roles on the stage and screen. His life is something of a matrix itself. <laughs> 
I have like a few other quotes here. Oh, this was a good one. Digging his own typecast grave with the shovel of teen angst. I did like how this narrator, this documentarian, if you will, seemed frustrated like I was, and I think we were overall, that Keanu was stuck in that high school mode for so long. That he did sort of like point out, you know, they shot this Bill and Ted movie, and then they shelved it for three years, and he was starting to break out, but then he was thrust back into high school. And it was like, yeah, like, I get that. Like, that was actually something where I was like, oh, yeah. Although a serious role and played well, Keanu seemed to be digging his own typecast grave with the shovel of teenage angst. But otherwise, it's just this weird, it's kind of like Keanu Club in recap up to this point with no analysis at all. Not that I'm saying like <laughs> what we're doing is great, but he's not trying to do anything with this. He's like, this happened and here's a clip. And then this happened and then he met this person. And this was a really important person. And then his dad got busted for selling heroin. The same thing that killed his friend River Phoenix. And it's like, oh, like, we're like, What? It's all over the map. Ultimately, I think he's just trying to be entertaining, but it just fluctuates from intense and dramatic to light and sort of fluffy. And at times it just feels like he's going off memory of things that he read in magazines or saw in Entertainment Tonight. He's jumping all over the map sometimes. It was kind of hard to watch for me at moments, but all around, like, I thought it was very funny. I also liked how he only had, like, a limited number of clips and would, like, for instance, show the same clip of Dogstar <laughs> every time he mentioned Dogstar. Like, everything always seemed to come back to the Matrix also, like, at sure. the end. So he would end on that same shot at the junket of him with Lawrence Fishburne and Carrie Ann Moss, like, getting their picture taken. And Will Smith there, too. Like, yo, it's the Matrix. It's awesome. Well, did you yeah, guys watch true. the bonus? feature on the DVD. I saw that it existed and I did not watch it. Okay, we can Same. talk about that a little bit later because I enjoyed it deeply. Well, why don't we talk about it now? Like, what, what, what was it about? So half of it is just interviews with the celebrities that went to the Matrix premiere. Okay. <laughs> about, like, like the junket. Okay. <laughs> no, not even the junket, like on the red carpet about like, why did you want to come see this movie? And they were like, I don't know, the trailer looked really cool. And like, it seems sweet. I, I, that's why I'm here. So the first half is, is kind of slow and stupid. But the second half is individual interviews with the cast in the same setting about why they chose the movie. And my favorite question, whether they think that the robots and the computers are going to take over. And what, what you realize is that so many of those clips that you were talking about that you see over and over again are actually from that part of the DVD. <laughs> So like every time they talked about his sisters, you would see him on a red carpet with them on either side of him. And it's from from that premiere. But I think this whole <laughs> documentary was kind of trying to capitalize on the success of The Matrix. It came out, I guess, right after the second one or maybe even in tandem with the release of the second Matrix. Because the whole thing is packaged in a very Matrixy style. Right. Yeah, like, like the font, the music. Mm -hmm. The DVD menu, very Matrixy, and they tried to do some like beep boop computery uh, <laughs> Matrixy <laughs> kind of graphics and stuff like that. From what I could gather, it came out between Reloader. He made it between Reloaded and Revolutions because he talks about how this is a franchise on the verge of grossing a billion dollars worldwide, and like we've seen what Reloader can do, but like what will Revolutions do? Direct quote. The real question isn't, will Neo save the world, which we won't find out until Revolution hits theaters. It's just how much money will he make for the two sequels, end quote. I was like, that's the question? Like, yeah. that's what you want to know? Yeah, well, that's what this guy wants to know. Like
Like this isn't necessarily like a documentary to inform us. It's an it's a documentary to inform us what this guy thinks about Keanu and feels about him. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because some of the details that he included are just like, why would you even? include that it's all fascinating fascinating stuff i also like how he says that the epitome of stardom is having yourself be immortalized in an action figure like yeah i get that's a big deal but like that's what everybody's aspiring to to become an action figure that's ridiculous what about like a star on the hollywood walk of fame or something to that effect even or i feel like being in the matrix is bigger than having an action figure of neo you know, like, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that just doesn't make any sense to me. That's something in this guy's mind. Some strange priorities and like definitions of stardom and stuff like that, because he says about speed that Keanu, quote, single-handedly starring in the number one film in theaters. But like, what about Sandra Bullock? Like, yep. did, was she not... That's doesn't not single-handedly. Oh, how dare. How but dare I feel like I feel like he just doesn't know how to word or structure things. Like English is very clearly his first language because he speaks it very clearly, but it's like he doesn't know how to form sentences because right. there's that thing where they're talking about the people lining up to buy reloaded tickets. This is something that I, you know, I completely it's just a whole different world now, but I remember the same thing happening for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And he's like the premiere took over an entire city block and then another and then there's like a long pause and he says, and then an entire other country. And it's like, wait, what is that? Like, <laughs> Yeah, and he was only talking about the Cannes Film Festival. Like, it wasn't like <laughs> The Matrix took the country of France by storm. It was just like, that was the breakout movie that year at Cannes. Yeah, cut to all the marketing at Cannes of Matrix right. posters everywhere. <laughs> You know, there's a couple really sort of fascinating things about this. The smallest one, the quickest one, is that Keanu says, like, they're like, what are you going to do next? He's like, I'm going to go do a kung fu film next month. And that just becomes The Matrix. So, like, I like that it's weird that he refers to it like that. But on a bigger scale, it's really interesting to see here the Wachowskis pre-op when they were both Andy and Larry before they were Lana and Lily. And I'm just seeing them. That's fascinating to me it has nothing to do with Keanu but just seeing them in the interview and like wondering like what they're thinking about you know what I mean like seeing them before they transitioned it's just this whole other layer that we're going to get into a little bit later on something another project that we have coming a little up a little bit later this year maybe but it's that was interesting to me and maybe that was just me sort of my mind drifting away from this documentary and trying to think of other things but like to see them interviewed because like I feel like I haven't seen them interviewed much in the last few years, I guess they haven't really done a lot, but they were they included clips here, and it was that was interesting to me. Yeah, and they're not really known. They were never known for really giving interviews, right? They they were always sort of not against the press, but like they just didn't have time or weren't interested in putting themselves out there anyway. So first and foremost, I thought it was just cool to see bits with the Wachowskis that I had never seen before. But in in, um, sort of researching or sort of scouting some of those documentaries, I watched one called Side by Side about film and digital video, and so and and they're in it and. One of them is now Lana in that documentary, and so oh. it was. It was, and they were they were talking a lot in that, and they were getting really profound about film, and it was blowing my mind. And so it was really interesting to see this documentary and then that documentary like right after each other, and then how much they had changed like within that time. Uh, again, nothing to do with like Keanu, but uh, but but still more entertaining than this, I guess. The other thing that was shocking to me is how awkward Keanu looks almost all the time in front of a camera. (laughs) 
I did notice that as well. Especially yeah. when he's with Dogstar. It's like he wants no part of any of this. There's that one really terrible forced fight at the blackjack table scene or whatever where one of them gets thrown out of the casino. I was like, oh, this is bad. But like even in one-on-one interviews or where they're just sitting around, I don't know what it is, but he never looks comfortable answering questions. Yeah, I noticed that as well. And he actually does get better at it over time. Like I was watching part of it at the end, one of the interviews that he was giving for one of the Matrix movies where I was like, oh, he looks very confident and like looks like he knows what he's talking about and is like speaking with some authority on the subject. Whereas like all of the other times that I saw him talking about his roles, he was just seemed very uncomfortable in front of the camera. And like with Dogstar, I was thinking about how weird it would be if you're just some band, but your basis happens to be Keanu Reeves. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, happens to be this huge movie star. I noticed that he was like a little awkward in front of the camera on the interviews, but I just I just figure like he doesn't really he's not interested in being there. It's almost like contractual to sit at one of those things and, you know, talk about the movie ad nauseum. And I guess just some actors are kind of better at that side of show business. But I did, I did notice like lately I've seen him like for John Wick, he's been on like a lot of, he was on like a lot of the morning shows and doing press for that. And I, and he's like really good at doing, talking about John Wick too, because he's like really interested in it and, and likes that. So maybe he's just kind of burned out in some of it. And maybe it's just when he's, not acting he doesn't like a camera shoved in his face because that's like his job and so it could get tedious after a while well when they were talking about feeling minnesota they showed a lot of footage from like the junket interviews for that and like almost every single person that they showed they included a a clip where they said i don't know it's from a Soundgarden song (laughs) yes yes and and i don't know it's from a Soundgarden song is probably the best description of that movie you'll ever get i mean like that was my favorite part because like that's one of my favorite episodes we got real upset at that movie that movie is just i hate it now (laughs) you could see these actors trying to sell it and vincent d'onofrio can't even do it (laughs) on screen and cameron diaz is just in like repeating herself nonsensically trying to explain what the movie's about i just found that part incredibly hilarious yeah to be fair they all looked very stoned while they were talking though (laughs) What I thought was really funny about that Feeling Minnesota part is that Vincent D'Onofrio is complaining about how they were sore because they were, like, wrestling a little bit on set. And I was like, Keanu's about to go through 18 months of comprehensive kung fu and, like, martial arts training. And they're complaining about, like, being sore because they, they didn't use stunt doubles for one wrestle, like, one brawl on set. It was weird to see him, like, hear him complain, or even weirder, that they included that in this movie. Yes, that is the weird part, is why did that guy feel compelled to even keep the Feeling Minnesota stuff in there? Because, first of all, they're not Keanu talking about the movie, you know, it's right. like the co-stars. That's not that's never been the focus of anything up until that point. We don't have anything with Sandra Bullock during the Speed Junket. We don't have anything with Patrick Swayze during Point Break Junket or any of that kind of stuff. So, yes, it just seemed like maybe he was trying to stretch for time or just fill in some blanks along the uh, timeline there. But that's another thing too, right? Like, isn't this movie, it was supposed to be like 70 minutes and it only ended up being like 52. So yeah, that's what, I don't know what is up with that. The back of the DVD case said 70 minute runtime. And I was like, oh, that seems, that's that short. And then I started it and it was only 52. And I was like, oh, all right. Tara, was the bonus stuff that junket, was that 18 minutes or is that shorter than that? It might've been. So maybe it's a total runtime. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, that's cheating. That's flagrant false advertising. Yeah, one of the weird things that he says in the documentary, actually directly after uh, talking about the wild David Geffen rumor, the narrator acknowledges how wild that is and then goes on to say something to the effect of like some rumor, like shortly thereafter, one rumor that seemed totally impossible turned out to be true. And he's talking about how Keanu Reeves film studies class had started at some art school. But it wasn't long after that, another rumor about Keanu's sexuality began circulating. According to Italian and Spanish newspapers, Keanu had secretly married media mogul David Geffen on a beach in Mexico, and then went on a $15,000 spending spree to celebrate. It wasn't until American tabloids got hold of the story that both Keanu and Geffen denied the rumor. And then another story, which seemed completely fabricated at the time, turned up and turned out to be true. The Art Center College of Design in California started offering a Keanu Reeves film class that year, teaching young students the history of Reeves movies. No one was more shocked than Keanu himself. I was like, okay. Like that, the rumor that they have a film studies class about you is as sort of salacious and wild as going off and like getting secretly married to another guy somewhere in a shopping spree like yeah, yeah that kind of $15,000 shopping spree <laughs> they balance out i see that yeah okay yeah. my biggest question after i watch this movie is where oh where is nicolas cage journey to success i would want to watch a movie in this style about him so so bad like i want to see just like a poorly made recap of the first you know 20 years of his career with just random interviews like that would be great i want to see this i really want to see this kind of movie about everybody i like but i want this guy to do it at this interest level <laughs> yes. with this skill level a whole journey to success series of documentaries about actors. The thing with Cage is that he got a proper A&E biography around the time Gone in 60 Seconds came out. A&E, like actual reputable people, beat everyone to the punch because he had won an Oscar by that point and I guess deserved a proper documentary and not something unauthorized. I mean, Joey, we could probably get in touch with this guy. I mean, it, <laughs> there's an address on the back, you know, with Hollywood. <laughs> He would probably be very excited that we watched this, that we got three people to buy the DVD. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you probably got a residual check. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Where did this 90 cents come from? My only explanation that I can think of as to like why this thing exists is that this was his final project for that class in art school. <laughs> he was the one guy who made a documentary and then he didn't even choose, you know, like global warming or something. He's like, I'm going to do it about an actor. I buy that. I did buy it. <laughs> I own that. I liked seeing Keanu in that Cornflakes commercial. Oh my god, played, he's so cute in that. I wish they played the full commercial. And I was also surprised at like how good quality that was. I was assuming it was probably like an early 80s commercial. And we were watching stuff early on, like Night Heat and everything, that were just, you could barely tell what's going on in these YouTube videos that we were watching. This is like, you know, pristine, like really nice quality. Like I wanted to see the whole commercial there. I'm sure I could find it online, but like, they cut back to that commercial a second time later, but I think it's like the same clip that they show. So like, show the whole thing. Well, this further supports my theory about this being an art school project. When I was in art school, my school actually had like an archive of old commercials oh, okay. that we could use for projects. So maybe, maybe that's where he found that. 
Yeah, because I was also surprised they only showed the cornflakes commercial because you know for a fact he was in like a Coke commercial. I think he was in like a Doritos commercial or something too. And so, so maybe this was the only thing in public domain that he had the licensing rights to use without having to pay extra money for or something. Like I, that definitely had to come into play. Like all this footage must have been free. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's why he uses so much weird stuff and that other stuff that might be significantly more informational or interesting. Yeah, and why we only get that same shot of Dogstar playing every time that he mentions them instead of cutting to like a different venue or location. It's probably from like a press packet. Can we talk about Keanu's devil ride down the mountain where he turned off the headlights on his motorcycle and went down and then like... I don't know what he said, like, then he took a wrong turn and, like, crashed. If you're turning your headlights off, like, you're not taking, like, a wrong... Like, you know, I don't... It It was all weird wording, but then they compare him to Lazarus being reborn, or maybe, like, Neo, awakening in the Matrix. But greatness and tragedy always seem to go hand in hand. And as Keanu sped down that road, that road that destiny brings, tragedy erupted. On what's known as a demon ride, Keanu sped down Topanga Canyon on his motorcycle, turned off the headlights, and let destiny run its course. But he misjudged a turn and crashed into the side of a mountain. He was hospitalized for a week with broken ribs and a ruptured spleen. He was lucky to be alive. Like Lazarus being reborn from the grave, or even Neo waking from the Matrix, Keanu seemed to walk away from the hospital a different person. His attitude changed, and his career soon followed suit. And he walked away from the hospital a different person, which yes. will happen if you have a traumatic brain injury. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there. What I wasn't aware of, and what may not actually be true, is like how much of a wild child Keanu actually was in his early years. Like He's sort of painted as this out-of-control, like Mickey Rourke-esque, junkie motorcycling bad boy going around Hollywood causing trouble and I just don't see it maybe I could see him trashing a hotel room once or twice but I don't see him doing like dead man's curve with his eyes closed even if it happened it's just really weird how much this guy is turning it to be Keanu was a troubled person and had all these demons inside him yeah I think it's a stretch I think that they're just he's just looking for anything interesting it's just poorly made that's the bottom line there's no there's no other way around it my most frustrating fake out was the intro this and they're talking about Keanu has he lives a life of darkness mystery and fame and then they cut to him with a clip saying that he lives a devil may care life (laughs) and I was like oh this is exciting and then we just get to later in the documentary they show that same clip and he's just talking about his character from the last time I committed suicide suicide, which is not the case at all like he does not live a devil may care life in that movie Again, another movie that I don't like, but I was so let down. I was like, I want to know this interview where Keanu's talking about like, this reckless life he lives. But no, it's just about a character in a movie that I don't like. But he does do this really interesting and adorable eyebrow wiggle thing after he says that. Where he like <laughs> raises one eyebrow and then another eyebrow and like wiggles them back and forth. You have to see it. You're going to have to just buy the DVD for those listening. Do it. Make this guy some money. Yeah, let's get this entire series going again. I have run out of notes about this movie. I'm surprised, honestly. Oh my god, I have so many more. <laughs> I, I just, no, I, I couldn't do it. I, I wrote down at one point, I don't know how to take notes about this. Yeah, it was sort of like one of those experiences for me where I knew I was just going to have to let it wash over me because of how out of control, poorly produced, and hearsay filled this thing seemed to be to me. And I have maybe like one major note, but that's about it. Like, 
for the most part, I just couldn't get over how ridiculous this thing was. Ridiculously fun, you know, like that's the thing. It's still fun, even though it's bad. Like, it's not like it's boring, right? Like, he did something right in that, like, it's entertaining, at least. It might not all be true. It's definitely done on, like, iMovie, but, but at least it's entertaining. Yeah. Well, I had to force myself to take notes because I kept kind of drifting off and not really paying attention. Sure. And then I would tune back in and it would be a clip of Keanu talking about something that was pretty much nonsensical. And I would have to <laughs> rewind it and be like, what is he talking about? But he was just usually talking about like some character that he was playing, that devil may care attitude. Yeah. Were there any other notes that you did take that you want to talk about? Dogstar opened for Bon Jovi in Australia which I feel like is an important factoid to point out on a podcast with three people from New Jersey. Sure. I would be interested to hear your guys' thoughts on this. The documentarian refers to The Matrix as the most influential science fiction movie of the decade, but like this came out in 2003. So I think it probably was among, if not the most influential science fiction movie of the early aughts, but like, I don't know... Well, was he talking, was he talking about Reloaded or was he talking about the first one, which came out in 99? No, I guess he was talking about the first one. Yeah, I mean, I would say The Matrix capped off the millennium by being the best science fiction film of the decade, most likely. I mean, the, what's the other one he mentions? Like, because Keanu's in it, he talks about Johnny Mnemonic, and he oh, totally boy. overhypes Johnny Mnemonic. I'm sorry, like, I thought that movie's cool, but the U.S. cut is not a good version. This guy made some interesting decisions about how, like, River's Edge was his best role yet, or best role ever, and about how Chain Reaction is his worst role yet. And I was like, no, and then he ha- and then he hypes up Giant Demonic. I was like, these are all, like, very extreme exaggerations of movies that are all pretty much ranging from, like, sort of bad to pretty good, but, like, it's all kind of down the middle of the road. This, this guy, I would like to beat him. That's all I can say, really. I would, <laughs> yeah. like to, I would like to see more of his work. I have some questions for him, for sure. Oh, Here's one. He was romantically linked to Paula Abdul after he was in that music video. And also, like, right after My Own Private Idaho. And I'm not sure if this comes from something that has a grain of truth to it or if it's just that Hollywood kind of PR machine because there were all of those rumors about him maybe being gay. But I want to believe it's true. On that episode, didn't we talk about how she cast him because she had a crush on him, kind of? Yeah, there was something about that. Like, she wanted him specifically to be in that music video, something about him. Yeah, and I could see that. They they were, I thought they were a cute couple in that music video. I could see them trying to uh, make something work. Sure. They didn't really talk much about his dyslexia, but they bring it up toward the very beginning and then, like, never mention it again. Or, like, how drove him to pursue acting or sports instead of like other avenues but well i feel like that's just par for the course like to bring something up and then just not mention it again yeah in the context of this documentary certainly yeah it's much more interested in informing you about what movies he's been in and how he feels about his movie roles and things his journey to success if you will yeah (laughs) yes yeah it's you know even though it mentions his sisters and family life and things that's sort of what i was expecting a lot more of that's more along the a and e line like you know keanu grew up here and we see baby pictures and then he went to like we get like a minute or two of that but i was sort of expecting it, it to be more more of that and no it's sort of just like a whole long commercial for all of his movies yeah 
which is interesting in not a good way or a bad way. Just it's just it, it's an interesting thing to make a documentary about. It's like a recap. It's just a thing that exists. So there's no trivia on IMDb for this film, surprise, surprise, but Mike said that he has a juicy bit of trivia or maybe a factoid or something, so hit us with it, Mike. So (laughs) there's definitely something, I don't know if it's trivia or a gaffe, but it'll qualify, I'm sure. So Joey, I sent you an actual screenshot of this too. At one point towards the end of the movie, they're talking about the movie The Replacements, the football film about the strike, and the narrator refers to... The girl Brooke Langington, he refers to her as Faison Love. And Faison Love is a black guy. He's also in the movie, but it's a male. I don't know how he could have gotten them confused in my, you know, how do you do that? Like, they couldn't look more different. One's like this white woman and one's like this black guy. Like, how could you call her Faison Love? It just blew my mind. I just, you know, that just further goes into the lack of professionalism and research and fact-checking and the whole nine yard. I mean, it was sort of just the icing on the cake for me. I wonder if he was confusing Faison Love with Feruza Balk. I was just like, oh, that's a woman, so this is a woman too. That, I'm not, that, that's almost certainly not the case, but that's the only thing that I can even like remotely think of that like might explain how that's possible. Like, I could understand you thinking, maybe he might think, like, it sounds more like a girl's name, Faison Love sounds like a girl's name, but surely you would have, like, a copy of The Replacements or be able to look it up and just check that. Like, who was in The Replacements? Like, what was the girl's name again? Okay, got it. So that was frustrating. And at the same time, hilarious. I feel like your assumption that he has a copy of The Replacements is sort of asking a lot of him. Like, (laughs) he's a Keanu fan. Like, he's. But is he, or is he just, like, cobbling things together? It's almost like he was. (laughs) If we extend Kara's theory that this is, like, a a school project further, it was like, here are 10 clips about Keanu Reeves. Here are 10 facts about Keanu Reeves. Go make a video about it. Whichever one is the most coherent, the most comprehensive, we will release on home video. Well, now I love the idea that this guy doesn't even like Keanu. And he was sort of forced to make this. And so he just threw this together. He's like, fuck it. This is good enough. Like, it'll pass. It'll just about slide by. Anything else that we want to talk about? Or is our journey to success over for the day? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Kara, for joining us. You'll be back eventually if that Bill and Ted 3 ever happens. Here's uh, hoping. Here's hoping. My excellent fingers are crossed. Because you were going to be on our next episode, which is Discovering Buddhism, a six or a 12-hour documentary about Buddhism that we are deciding to skip. So apologies to you, apologies to our fans, because I feel like that's one that we had been not hyping, but we've been talking about a lot. Like, I can't wait to, uh, you know, like dreading it, sort of. We talk, we mentioned it a, a few different times, but we're skipping that, and we're also skipping Ellie Parker, and Mike will have a, a mini review of Ellie Parker for our next episode, which is Thumbsucker, but we're skipping two between now and next week. So just if you're really, truly a Keanu completionist, you've got about 14 hours of homework between now and next week that we're not going to be doing. Yeah, I mean, with the documentaries, I mean, my final word on those, and I think we've talked about this too, is you really just can't get a sense of his performance, right? He's not performing in any of them. If anything, he's doing voiceover or he's sort of behind the camera, but you don't get a sense of, you know, his acting ability. So they're just not necessary at this point. That's fair enough. But thank you again, Kara, for joining us. And we hope that Bill and Ted makes a third one because it would probably be great, but also so you can come back. 
Yes, me too. But Carol will be on future projects. Wink, wink. So just stay tuned to the Cage Club Podcast Network, which you can go to at cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can find all of Kara's other episodes. You can also, we could probably also include somewhere on there a link to Kara's podcast, In Sickness and in Health, which is, again, like we were talking about on the Bill and Ted episodes, a very different subject matter. But also another podcast that reminds us to be excellent to each other, right? Yep. So go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, see all the different shows that we've done, all the episodes that are out, stay tuned for what's coming next, all sorts of fun things, free things to read and listen, and all sorts of stuff at cageclub.me and facebook.com slash cageclub. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Kara O'Regan, and we'll see you next time on Keon Club. A cool breeze over the mountains is the Hawaiian translation of Keanu. 